Hey, I'm Jesse. Let's have a devotion. We're in Matthew chapter 19, verse 16. This is a famous passage. It's the story of the rich young ruler. Just then, someone came up and asked him, Teacher, what good must I do to have eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? He said to him. There's only one who is good. If you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. Which ones? He asked him. Jesus answered, Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And love your neighbor as yourself. I have kept all these, the young man told him. What do I still lack? If you want to be perfect, Jesus said to him, Go sell your belongings and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the young man heard that, he went away grieving because he had many possessions. And then what follows is Jesus' teaching about how difficult it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's, it's harder than a camel passing through the little hole at the end of a needle. Wow. This guy could have been the 13th disciple. He was given, in the very last part, the same invitation come follow me, that all the disciples had been given. Come follow me. And then at once they dropped their nets and followed him. Come follow me. And then they left and followed him. But there's something else. Jesus was testing this man in particular. He said, go and sell your belongings and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. All this predicated upon, here's what gives it away as a test, if you want to be perfect. That's what this guy was after. That was his frame of mind. What must I do? What must I do? Teacher, what good must I do to have eternal life? He took a legalistic approach to the gospel itself. What are the good things that I have to do? Priest, what magic hocus pocus words do I have to say? What amount of money do I have to give to get my beloved uncle out of purgatory? What good must I do? Mormon missionaries, how many doors do I have to knock on? Okay, what kind of weird underwear do I have to wear? This is all over pagan religions. It's a legalistic approach to salvation. What are the good things that I have to do? A transactional view of salvation that neglects utterly sin in our lives and wholly underestimates just how depraved we actually actually are and wholly underestimates the significance of Christ on the cross and wholly overestimates our ability to perform righteous acts. The prophet Isaiah, the next book that we're studying, says that our righteousness is like filthy rags before God. When we get to that series, we'll talk exactly about what that means. This guy had a totally legalistic view of the gospel. And he's, he's proud. He's proud. He's going before the perfect one. And he's talking about how righteous he's been. But when push comes to shove and he's actually given the invitation to repent from the false Lord in his life and follow Jesus, the true Lord, he just goes away sad. He could have been the 13th disciple, but Jesus knew how the whole thing would already go. Why do you ask me about what is good? He said to him, there's only one who is good. So Jesus gives him the proper response right there in verse 17. What good must I do? And Jesus is like, there's only one who's good. And in verse 17, this is not 
This is, in verse 17a, this is not a test. This is, this is exactly what the guy needs to hear. If you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. And then the guy's response is, which ones? He's like, don't murder, got that. Do not commit adultery, got that, sort of. Do not steal, got that. Do not bear false witness, <laughs> got that, which is ironic too, because he's kind of bearing false witness about himself. Honor your father and mother, got that. Love your neighbor as yourself, yeah, whatever, got it. <laughs> it's funny too, because he claims to have this command, love your neighbor, down pat, but when, he, when it comes time, okay, I'll go give to the poor, he's like, nope. <laughs> so he's already deluded. He's heavily deluded about his own righteousness. Okay, I love you, my, my Catholic friend. I love you, my Mormon friend. Is it possible that you are deluded about your own righteousness? How righteous you actually are and the efficacious nature of the righteous acts that you perform especially those prescribed not by the word of the lord but by the word of a dude all right joseph smith or the pope like this rich young ruler evidently didn't love his neighbor enough to sacrifice to go and give his belongings to the poor and then have treasure in heaven. He had treasure on earth, lots of treasure on earth. We have nothing in heaven. Everything that had been about him, his self-righteous, self-aggrandizing view made him look at his possessions and think, I've got this stuff together. And then he had at least a nominal love for his neighbor. Okay, he claims to love his neighbor, but when Jesus tells him to sell it all and give it to the poor, he's not ready to follow through. There's an unwillingness. His wealth had become Lord in his life. And his self-righteousness was his hope. And that's a bleak hope, especially when you become self-aware under the conviction of the Holy Spirit of God. Man, he just walked away sad, but it could have been different for him. God foreknew exactly how it would go, but I can't help but see the final words of Jesus' teaching, then come follow me, and think like, oh man, those same words, every other guy standing next to Jesus, enacted. They dropped what they had and they followed Jesus. For Peter, it was a net. <laughs> All right. For Matthew, though, it was an appointment under uh, Roman favor as a tax collector. Like They all left everything to follow Jesus, but this guy was not willing to let stuff go and follow Jesus. What is it that you would cease to let go of, that you would fail to drop in order to follow Jesus? And is it worth your soul this man was unwilling to surrender and he was still he was still insistent upon his own righteousness in first john you're going to see a profound teaching that if you see that your brother or sister has material need you do nothing to help them how can the love of god be in you that we see people who are in need and we do nothing to help them at all evidently we don't have the love of god in us this man had hoarded great wealth for himself Jesus invited him to sell it all and to give it to the poor and then have treasure in the kingdom of heaven and then come follow me. This was not a sudden legalistic presentation of the gospel, okay? It's not like Jesus changed the gospel just for the rich young ruler. 
Okay, see Romans 3.20 and 28 and 4.6, Galatians 2.16, Ephesians 2.9 and 2 Timothy 1.9. It's not like this was a different gospel just for this guy. Jesus knew exactly how this was going to go because he's the Logos, because he's one with God the Father. He is omniscient even as he walks the earth. Okay, I know that there's another prominent teaching, even by a formerly prominent pastor here in our area, that, that, that controverts that based on a misunderstanding of Philippians 2, but Jesus is omniscient. He knows exactly what's going to happen. It's how he's able to make prophecies, for crying out loud. He's able to tell Peter what's happening behind the veil of heaven. Satan has asked us if you like wheat, but I pray for you that your faith will not fail. All right, Jesus is omniscient, even as he walked the earth. He knew exactly how this was going to go down with this rich young ruler. And it's, it's remarkable. It's remarkable. It's like so close. It's like having the winning lottery number minus one number. You know, like it's, oh, come follow me. But no, instead, this is how we know this guy, as the guy who didn't follow Jesus, as the guy who thought that he was righteous, as the guy who couldn't give up his wealth. This was maybe harder for him than it was for, say, Peter. It may have been harder for, for this rich young ruler than it was for Matthew even. They had all given stuff up, but maybe they had, they had less to give up. This is partly what makes it so difficult for modern American, especially here in the Seattle area, okay? If you're able to pay your bills and live here, you have to be relatively wealthy, especially compared to not only the whole global scale, but the rest of America. Like, it takes an absurd amount of money just to be able to pay a decent mortgage here, right? Like, if you're able to make it here, and pay as much as we do for gas and for milk and bread and everything, then comparatively we are wealthy. But that's, that, see how difficult that makes it? See how hard that is? That people trust in their wealth and as a result they're unwilling to surrender. And whatever is Lord in your life with a lowercase l comes between you and God. Whatever you would not surrender if Jesus asked you to, that's actually Lord in your life. This is not a teaching that you've got to be, you've got to be, uh, destitute, you know, through, uh, because of excessive, uh, because of, you know, uh, excessive philanthropy in order to be saved. No, we're going to, we've seen more about that in, in Paul's writings about why certain people are wealthy. They're wealthy so that they would give generously to the cause of the kingdom of heaven that lasts forevermore. Then they have an eternal purpose for their wealth here on the earth. But this man was given a unique invitation. He knew that that money was Lord in his life. That's often the case for us evangelistically as we share the gospel here. So remember the rich young ruler and then also the teaching that follows as you share the gospel here in the Seattle area. Tomorrow we pick up on the next verse.